Alrighty, folks, NIST has officially released their summary of public comments <clears throat> submitted on the initial draft of Special Publication 800-171 Rev 3. So last week we talked about our sort of high-level takeaways of all of the comments and sort of our general impressions of the multitude of comments that were submitted on the standard. <clears throat> but NIST has officially uh, summarized their uh, analysis of the comments and given us uh, some clues about the way forward, the schedule, and changes that we can expect in the upcoming next draft of the standard. And so today we're going to dive into uh, seven of those things that pop out from this multi-page document and hopefully save you some time so you don't have to read every line in order to figure out what's going on. Uh, Jason, I think we can just jump right in. I mean, we'd have a couple of sort of high level takeaways and then we'll sort of explain what that means uh, without all of the extra NIST wording <laughs> and the peculiar way of that they have of writing these things out. Man, it, it was awesome that uh, we were able to obviously do our show last week and provide our feedback. And then pretty much within 24 hours of, the, of our recording, then we get NIST feedback. <laughs> And it's just kind of relieving. I, I, I feel a little bit better about myself to see that some of the things that we pointed out um, were, were also pointed out, but then some additional things that I found very, very interesting. And then yeah. also the, the, there was a lot of clarity provided, like because we, we provided a lot of general statements last week saying, man, I saw a lot of comments about ODPs. Well, NIST went through, and when they summarized it, this is exactly how many comments that we had and yeah. how many we revolved around ODPs. So that was great to see that, that, that portion of it. And then it was good to see, and it makes me feel confident that NIST is going to move forward with their timeline as they have been. It's been absolutely stellar, like nailing yep. it on the point and getting there. Um, it's good to see that they give us next steps moving forward and what they're going to do moving forward. And it, it's something to be excited about, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, let's jump into it and uh, and then we'll go from there. So the first point that sort of you know jumps out to me from NIST's official summary is exactly what you said is the schedule, right? The schedule uh, leading forward to more releases and what's happening. And so they have said for the last 12 months or so, and they repeated in this most recent document that they are planning on having the next draft of 800-171 Rev 3 and the initial draft of 800-171A uh, released in Q4 of 2024. So that would be sometime between October and December of 2024. That's exactly in line with what they said in the last uh, uh, big webinar that they had after releasing 171 Rev 3. That's tracking with what they said in August of 2022, when they were initially doing the pre-draft call for comments and sort of talking about what the planned schedule was. So like you said, they're right on schedule with the revision. They're right on schedule with the release, you know, based off the conversation that we had with Ron Ross a couple of months ago, uh, they would like to have everything buttoned up and released by the end of the year. Uh, so based off this timeline, that's still theoretically possible, although their official statement is still that they would like to have 171 Rev 3 and 171A final revisions published by Q1 of 2024. So they are still tracking for that timeline. Uh, and that's important to remember because the release of 800-171 Rev 3 and 800-171 together basically makes everything happen faster. DOD can update the DOD assessment methodology scoring system, the one that results in the score you upload to SPRS. 
They can update that faster because they don't have to wait on 171. The CMMC revisions to the next set to, of requirements in Rev3 can happen faster because they don't have to wait on 171A, right? Uh, and so that just basically means that by concurrently releasing 171 Rev3 and 171A together, all of the other timelines that are dependent on that revision cycle uh, will happen quicker than they otherwise would. So uh, something to keep in mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you, just to, to, to clarify, when you say 2023, 2024, are those government year 2023 or calendar uh, so year 2023? I'm referring to calendar year. So in okay. the document, which we'll link to, they say fiscal year uh, Q1, which is calendar year Q4. So okay. end of this year, 2023, we should see the second draft of 800-171 Rev3 and the initial draft of 800-171A. Now, they don't have to release two drafts of every document. So I feel like what we're going to see is we're going to see what they call the final public draft, the FPD of 800-171 Rev3. We will see the initial public draft, the IPD of 800-171A. There'll be another round of public comments, typically 90 days. And then once that's done, we will see the final revision of both of those things published simultaneously. Are there? Do you think there's benefits in having them both published simultaneously? Yeah, I think they should both. Ultimately, I think they should both be the same document, right? Like, I don't think right. that they should be separate documents at all because we have for years talked about this issue where people don't know that 171A is the center of gravity for verifying that the controls are implemented. Most people never click the other parts of this control link on the 171 page to go find and read 800-171A. It is a different document. It's an extra thing. It's confusing. It's a different format. It's not very helpful. So I think they should be the same document. And, they and so therefore, it could be released at the same time. By having it released at the same time, you don't have this unnecessary lag where we know what the requirements are, but we can't possibly figure out what the verification procedures are, even though we could go read them in 853 at the corresponding controls. Mm -hmm. So by having the 171A document and the 171 controls document released at the same time, there's no lag period, right? Uh, and that means that DOD will get started faster. I mean, CMMC will get started faster. You know, the revision cycles for everything that's dependent on 171, those revision cycles will be shorter. Yeah, I think for an organization that um, creates standards constantly, I think that the separation in the two documents, you said you would like them to be merged together. I think the separation is because one's more so the standard and then one is a procedural type document. Yeah, I think what it's silly. Think it? I yeah. think that, I mean, I can see why for length purposes, 53 and 53A are separate. I still mm -hmm. think that there is a way of writing them such that they are uh, a little bit more efficiently worded which would cut down on a lot of length and we can combine them. This is why I think the CMMC assessment guide actually uh, takes a, the right step in terms of formatting because the CMMC assessment guide is the combination of 800-171A discussions, control items with, uh, 800, or sorry, 800-171 mm -hmm. items and discussions and 800-171A criteria in the same document. So we know it's theoretically possible. It doesn't make the document all that much longer especially if you're dealing with a subset of 853, which is what we're dealing with in 8171. I think it should be the same document. That doesn't look like what they're going to do. And so as a result, and we're going to talk about this and some of the other points, 
I think that the changes that they have announced are mostly good, but they will probably exacerbate the delta between 171 and 171A, and that will make it that will make it we'll have more of the same complication, even sure. though the material will probably be better. And so we'll explain that as we get into these next few points here. So one of the benefits of being able to obviously interact with you every day is not only did for my wedding anniversary, you send me a hardbound copy of 853. Um, but occasionally you drop, it's not a joke, folks. you drop these bits of wisdom um, that, you know, like kind of stick with me. Right. And one of them was to better understand this documents, you start where? Uh, oh, geez, I'm going to fail my own quiz. Uh, <laughs> you start at the, the end of the document in the glossary you, and then. Right. And you, oh, the yeah. So, yeah, yeah, the rule of thumb, right, is to read them backwards and bottom up because they put all this great information in the appendices and in the footnotes. So and, a lot of times so, I'll. Yeah. In that spirit. I think the best way for us to analyze the NIST summary of the public comments is to start at the bottom of the uh, of the comments with the expected changes that they yeah, have. Yeah, well, that's that's funny, man. I didn't, even, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. So yeah, fully, it's, it's fully funny. unrehearsed show, fully unrehearsed show, folks. That is that is pretty hilarious, though. Yeah, we should. I should. We, we should both probably develop this theory of how to read a NIST document because it's actually that's actually really funny that you bring that up. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so. What we're talking about, folks, is if you read the um, NIST public comment summary, they sort of immediately dive into, uh, we got comments on specific controls, and mm -hmm. here's some stats, and here's some details. And at the end of the document, they say, here's the schedule, here's the rollout, here's the high-level stuff that we saw. And you're like, So I didn't even realize that we were doing that with the, uh, the show notes here we're reading the document backwards. So if you're opening this and trying to follow along, scroll to the back and we'll, we'll work our way back towards the front. That's really funny. All right. So you didn't even so, realize you did it. It's just, I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, that's just sort of the My way conscious makes me read backwards. That's yeah. That's uh <clears throat> pro tip. Totally unrelated. If you need to proofread something, then you're supposed to read from the bottom and read each sentence, you know, going back up the document. Thank you, Mr. Gibson, seventh grade science class. Because Shout out your, to Mr. Gibson. Your, your brain doesn't blend all the words together. So there you go, kids. School just started. I hope that I hope that helps this year. All right. Anyways, point number two, uh, expected changes based on public comments received. So you would think that would be at the front of the document, but it's at the back. Anyways, mm -hmm. so they really list sort of four big changes that they are planning in the next draft of 171 based off the public comments. It is reducing the number of organizationally defined parameters, ODPs, completely eliminating the NFO category of security requirements, tailoring out controls addressed by other related controls, and restructuring and streamlining the discussion sections of the requirements in two ways. Uh, one is to only address the actual security requirement itself and to sequence the text of the discussion section to match the control items. So those are the changes that they're planning uh, based off public comments. And so we're gonna dive into sort of each one of those. I think you probably will notice that those expected changes are, they have nothing to do with the typical out of scope comments that NIST receives. 
They are not saying we're going to change the document because of cost concerns. We're going to change the comments because of CMMC or DFARS or contracting or this or that or this. They are sort of focusing on the levers that NIST is able to pull within the context of revising the standard, and you end up with those four things. So those are the big changes that they're planning when that next revision that we're expecting in calendar year Q4 2024 mm-hmm. that we should see in the final versions in Q1 of 2025. Okay. 2024, sorry, Q4 2023, Q1 of 2024. I misspoke. So uh, a couple times throughout the summary, what they said was, is that we are going to move away from assumptions. And so, uh, yeah, completely move away from assumptions. So um, one of the steps moving forward kind of is like moving further towards assumptions. And one of the steps is obviously eliminating the assumptions. And I just wanted to hear what your thoughts are on, on the next on the next steps for. Yeah, so there's there's definitely some tension here, I think, in terms of what's going on with the changes that they're planning. I think that the overall among those four changes, I think there will probably result in a document that is clearer and more straightforward, uh, but probably doesn't f- fix the Ish, the common issues that people have when actually using 800-171. So for instance, we'll just dive into each of these four changes here. So the next point that they get into is reducing the number of organizationally defined parameters, right? So it's the first thing that they list is one of the main changes. And the organizationally defined parameters, we've talked about this before. If you flip open 171 Rev 3 draft, or if you flip open 853 or 800-172, you will see that there are these blank spaces in the text of the controls themselves. And those are variables that have to be populated in order for the control to mean something. So if you have um, you know, a lockout period on a user session, how long is that lockout period, right? How long before that session is locked out? Is it mm-hmm. five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Is it five weeks? What's the What's the value, right? Now there are industry best practices, right, for what those values could be. Sometimes there are regulatory inputs that determine what ODP values need to be, uh, but they are variable. And so because NIST is a non-regulatory entity and they are creating a standard formatting for security controls that are supposed to be applied across a countless number of federal and and federally regulated environments, they are not going to hard code those values into those ODP fields. They leave them blank. And that makes the NIST controls very awkward to read if you don't sort of recognize what they're trying to do, right? It's it's this uh, cybersecurity mad libs way of writing a security control. And what NIST will say is this is the most flexible way of writing a control because the fundamental nature of this security idea is least privilege or access control or whatever, but there are certain things that need to be defined and we're not going to define those because mm-hmm. either the the standards and requirements change too much and we don't want to have the, the control outdated by the time we write it, or there's just so many people that are going to pick up this standard in so many different environments and use cases there's no way that we can define a single number that's going to work for everybody or even a range of numbers that's going to work for everybody. That's up to you to engineer what the answer should be. As we talked about, and as they say in the summary, 
basically every comment that was submitted that had to do with a specific control basically mentions that people don't like ODPs. Those ODPs need to go away or, and, or those ODPs need to be defined by NIST. So two things, NIST is never going to define the ODPs, right? Uh, NIST is not a regulatory agency. They have been formatting security controls like this for over 20 years and 853 never once have they defined those parameters? They will never define those parameters. So everybody who's asking for NIST to define it, it's not going to happen, right? The other quick takeaway is people said, get rid of them. And that's sort of what pops up in their things when they say, these are the changes that we're planning. We're going to get rid of the ODPs. And uh, this brings me to the LinkedIn poll that we mentioned last week, where I asked everybody, uh, how many ODPs already exist in 800-171? Rev 2 that defense contractors have to implement today that has been required since 2016, right? And the answer is there are 98 of them. Because if you open 171A, every time you look at an assessment procedure, the first thing that it asks you to do is to define something or specify something or define something or specify something. And if you go through and you count them all up, 171A asks you to do that 98 times. Those are variables that you have to define or specify in order to verify whether that control is fully implemented. Just because it doesn't show up in the text of the control in 800-171 does not mean that those ODPs do not exist. They're not called that, they're not formatted that way, but this is six of one and half a dozen of the other. I think, and I think there were many comments that said, Formatting 800-171 to reflect the standard formatting of 853 is better than the current formatting that we have because it makes the delta between 171 and 171A smaller. It's less of a surprise. This doesn't actually work the way you thought it worked because you just happened to find 171A. It, it, it links those two things together much more closely. It's the way that those standards have been formatted. It's just sort of the way that they work together. And I think that getting rid of ODPs is a false victory because you never really get rid of ODPs. They're going to have to be defined in the verification pr procedures ultimately. Yeah. I, I think that what you're asking here and basically what you have said is, is that right now you're just arguing or debating what document that they're going to show up in. They're right. going to be there. Just where are they going to be? Right. Yeah, that's a good First way to frame it. And then when you look at um, the comments that were submitted for ODPs for, for the draft, um, the, the the two common themes were this: is that they either wanted them gone because they didn't work, or they made things more difficult, or they wanted NIST to define them so that we would unify security requirements across the board, right? So that there was no confusion between multiple contracts or multiple organizations right. that you work for and things like that. Um, but the fact is, is that they're still there and, and how right. you define them and what's right. acceptable. The, this is what I said at the beginning is that um, NIST has said that they want to move away from assumption, but by reducing the amount of ODPs that are defined within the standard portion of the series, right? Not the procedural portion, the standard portion of the series, you are, if you move it away from the standard, then you are assuming that the organization that's going to implement it is uh, capable of establishing best practices or uh, reading yeah, now, the tea leaves and know that there's now, things that you they know, have to do. You are 100% right. You are 100% right. Putting my NIST hat on and playing the 
They're a non-regulatory agency, right? They're not exactly a political heavyweight, but putting on my DC Beltway agency hat, Mm -hmm. here's what I would say. We received over 1,700 comments and over 80% of them said, we don't like ODPs. And so Mm -hmm. the easy solution is to just use the format that we've been using the entire time, right? Because all of a sudden the ODPs don't exist. That's what everybody wanted us to do. That's what the public comments, that's what industry asked us to do. And so, okay, like we'll just keep the formatting that we've been using for years if that's what works for everybody. And as we're going to talk about in some of the other points, there were other big levers that NIST has control over that nobody commented on. So NIST will make those changes instead because industry apparently doesn't well, have a problem with that. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, we'll get rid of the ODPs. There's 117 ODPs in the 171 Rev3 draft. There's 98 in the current version of 800-171A. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I think the ODPs are valuable is that it makes it very apparent that we have been dealing or not dealing with a serious problem for years. You, you have an industry, multiple industries, but the DIB specifically, that has been going out and defining these variables in 171A, right? to assess themselves, to calculate a score, to upload to SPRS, to make an official statement to the government, right? And so the problem of disparate values being defined by different contracts, different program offices, different federal agencies is not new, right? How are people today de-conflicting this guidance from different organizations and different contracts and different customers when they are defining and specifying things in 800-171 as it currently exists, right? The answer is they're not, right? Whatever they're doing, that is not an issue. And so when all of a sudden NIST makes this format change and there's a new issue that pops up, the easiest thing for NIST to do is just go back to the current format and be like, well, there wasn't an issue with that format. So I guess we'll get rid of the ODPs. I don't think it will be helpful. I think it will make the delta between the two worse and that will that will cause that will cause more of this thing to happen where companies think they know what's going on and then two guys with a podcast show up and they pull the rug out from under them and they go it's 171a all along haha and i think that formatting changes help to minimize the gap between those two standards if we're not just going to make them one document so i don't think that getting rid of ODPs is actually going to be very helpful, even though that seems to be the number one thing that industry wants. Um, you know, I'm, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be as big of a change as people believe. Well, that was the number one thing that industry wanted. The number yeah. two thing that industry wanted was for them to get rid of the NFO category. Yeah. Which, and this is considering this the is industry, I'll one. raise my hand. Yeah. Like they should away from assumptions again. Yeah. So now they definitely. should get rid of NFOs. Now for everybody who, you know, who doesn't remember or is unfamiliar, there is a baseline of controls in 853 that is determined to be the moderate baseline of controls. And NIST has to go through and figure out which of those moderate controls are relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI. Mm-hmm. So it's some subset of the moderate baseline in order to, tailor that moderate baseline is the word that they use. They're going to categorize those controls into a few buckets. 
One of those is Fed only. These requirements in 853 are only relevant to the federal government. There's very few of those, actually. There's only maybe a dozen or so. Some of these requirements are not going to be related to protecting the confidentiality of CUI at all. NCO is the code that they use for those. Those are controls that are not relevant to confidentiality. They're not going to show up in 800-171. Then you have controls that are relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI. Those are categorized as CUI controls. Those are what show up in 800-171 as this derivative standard from 853. And then you have an NFO category. And this is a set of requirements that NIST has assumed companies would be doing without having to be specified as a requirement. And this has been in the pre-draft public comments before 800-171 Rev 3 draft was published. It was the number one comment from industry was get rid of these assumptions. If you don't tell people that policies and procedures are required, they won't do them and then you show up with 800-171-A and you ask, where did you define and specify and document these ODPs? And they go, we didn't. And you go, well, we can't verify that you're doing what you're saying you're doing because exactly. you're not saying anything. And so it's very unhelpful to have this like myriad of NFO assumptions, because as we found out, if it's not a requirement, companies don't do it. And you can like it, you can not like it. That's just the way that it works. That's just the way that the market responds. So that's really going to put pressure on how NIST is going to categorize their controls. And so they dramatically reduced the number of NFOs in 171 R3 draft. Uh, however, if you notice, when you go through uh, the uh, 171 R3 draft, the items from 853, they don't carry over every item from an 853 control. They'll pull over like half of them, or they'll pull over like one or two of the control items from 853 and call that an 800-171 requirement. So not only did they say this entire control is CUI, is NCO, is NFO, but then within the set of CUI controls. They said this portion of the security control, we assume you're doing the top portion. We assume you're doing the bottom portion. We assume you're doing the middle portion. So the NFO control category is not just at the control level. It's also at the control item level. And I specify that. I know it's a little bit of an in the weeds detail, but I specify that because when this says they're going to entirely remove the NFO category, that will result in 800-171 Rev 3 being larger than the initial draft because there's only a few, maybe a dozen or so NFO controls that have to be categorized as either CUI or not CUI. But there are many, many control items within the CUI controls that are categorized as NFO. And so if they're going to completely eliminate NFO as a category, they're going to have to go through all those items and say, is it relevant or is it not? The way that I am reading between the lines at what NIST is saying is, if it is assumed that you're doing this, it is a precursor to these CUI requirements. And therefore, they feed into the things that are relevant to CUI. So more likely than not, most of those NFO items will be CUI relevant. And so because industry said, 
We know you reduced it like crazy. Get them out of here. Completely get rid of the NFO assumption, which is a good thing because it makes it clearer. It makes it more straightforward. There's no assumptions anymore. It makes the assessments more straightforward. It will make the standard larger. So I expect mm -hmm. that because people said in the pre-draft comments and they said on the initial draft comments, get rid of it, you will see a large increase over the already large increase in the 171 R3 draft. Yeah, there's going to be some work done, obviously, to uh, eliminate redundancy and requirements and the ask of the standard. And that is going to be part of the process of completely eliminating the assumptions associated with NFOs. Um, I believe that NFO was the only category that was assumptive. So the other categories will remain. But right. And yeah, the, so the, you take this pile of assumptions and basically NIST now has to categorize them and say, are they relevant to CUI? Are they not relevant to CUI? They're not going to be categorized as Fed specific because if they were Fed specific, they would have been categorized that way to start with. So, how? So if you go through and you look at the categorization in an appendix in the back of the document where all the cool stuff is, you got to ask yourself: Will they say that this is relevant? Will they say that this is not relevant? Will they say this is relevant? Will they say this is not relevant? Not only at the control level, but at the control item level. And when I read them, I think that they're going to take. I mean, even if it's 50% of those control items, that's a big increase over the 37% increase that we've seen in the initial draft. So it's one of those things where it's like out of the frying pan and into the fire, right? The NFO controls make assessments difficult. They make it, it's not a good practice. It makes it a lesser standard. It is not a good design decision to have assumptions, mm -hmm. especially after all of the years of evidence that it's not helpful and they're not good assumptions. But you have this paradox where if the standard is going to get bigger as a result, and now NIST has two sets of public comments saying that's what people want. So that's what we're going to get. So as somebody that has, um, you know, obviously been reading NIST documents for, for a while, um, one of the changes coming forward um, kind of confuses me a little bit. And, and I wanted to see what you thought about it. And it was the change about restructuring and streamlining the discussion sections. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. the, so I thought this was pretty interesting. So uh, I think that overall, this will be a good change that won't result in a lot of unintended consequences. It might result in a couple. So let's talk about it. So the, the, one of the main discussion sections that they talk about is uh, they want to restructure and streamline the discussion sections in two ways. One is to only address that security requirement mm -hmm. and to sequence the text of the discussion section to match the items in the control itself. So on the first one, I think that this is interesting because th they are saying based off public comments that when, the they, when people read the discussion section for a control, they only want to read about that control. And I think that at a high level, that's probably a good thing. However, NIST has gotten a lot better over 853 revisions about explaining how a control is related to other controls. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not perfect, but they are much better than they used to be. And so when you read through those discussion sections and those discussion sections are talking about, hey, this is an input to this other control, or this input feeds into these other controls, you start to see the web of how the controls are related in practice. Exactly. Now, I think that that can be 
I think it could be much better than it currently is in 853, but it is, it is helpful. And so if you have them write the discussion section such that they take out that information, um, a couple things are going to happen off the top of my head. One is it's going to increase the reliance on having to go back and read 853 to know what the heck is going on, which sure. is something that we've already complained about endlessly about this sure. endless cross-referencing that we have to do. We tell people all the time, go read the corresponding control in 853. There's more information in it that this is just going to make that problem worse because you're actively telling them take out the related sections of the discussion and just put them in 53, just give me the stuff that's just about this one control. So I think that people were asking for better discussion sections. I don't know if that's what they want in terms of having more information only on that control, if that makes sense. I may have misinterpreted this because the thought that I had in my mind was reading this and reading the way that some of the comments were structured it was more so um, that the ask was for people to, uh, or for NIST to take in almost, instead of it being a discussion sec section, being an implementation guidance section, like step-by-step, step, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I, yeah, and that's what I mean, is I think I think that's what people want, and that's not what NIST what does. The of, that, that section is intended to promote your awareness and your understanding of what's going on there, not to give you step-by-step -step guidance, procedural instructions for you to get right. implemented. That's in 171A, and that's yeah. being able to understand the steps that need to take place. Well, and they're never gonna have like a STIG checklist, no. right? They're never gonna have something at that next level down that says, click this, set this, select this, do this, go here, Correct. pick this menu. That they're, just, they're never going to give you a click path for AC3, right? That's just mm -hmm. not what they do. They're engineering high level requirements. And in other engineering disciplines, right? They don't say like, here are your welding specs, right? They say, build a rocket that can do this, right? Mm -hmm. And the decomposition of those requirements is the engineering process. Now, NIST has taken this formal academic engineering process and sort of plopped it into a uh, IT and security industry that is not defined by formal engineering rigor, even though a lot of people have engineer in their titles, no offense, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the, the world of security engineering just has not uh, really embraced at, up to this point, uh, the idea of requirements, requirements verification, requirements decomposition, this whole systems engineering process of dealing with requirements. Literally, there is a discipline of engineering called requirements engineering, right? Requirements are extremely important uh, in the engineering process. That's what they're writing in 171. The verification procedures are what they're writing in 171A. They're expecting that a smart engineer or team of engineers will pick up those requirements and then run with them and engineer a solution to these high-level requirements. What industry actually wants is a how-to guide for those requirements within their specific context within their specific technology stack. And that's just not what NIST is designed for. That's not what they're gonna do. They're never going to do that. So we end up with these kind of half measures where they go, oh, well, we'll streamline the discussion section to only focus on these controls, which sounds nice, but they're still not gonna give you the how to do those things. Absolutely. So you're gonna Absolutely. end up, like I said before, 
You're going to end up with a more clear document. You're going to end up probably with a more streamlined document, but it will probably still serve up the same problems that people have with the current document because you're not really changing uh, how how it's written, if that makes sense. And so, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so one of the ones that uh, we were going to talk about, then similar to what you said on the last one, this one also sort of confuses me because they said we're going to tailor controls, tailor out controls or combine controls that are addressed by other related controls. And this was a pretty common public comment where people would say, this control feels redundant. This control feels like it's doing the same thing as this other control. So either get rid of it or combine them. And uh, I don't agree with that because I, I think that, and this might just be, take this with a grain of salt, everybody. This might just be my familiarity with 853, but NIST has been revising 853 for 20 years to reduce and eliminate redundancies between controls, right? They are constantly merging and combining and integrating bits and pieces or entire controls with each other, such that now in the 853 catalog, you have controls that are very related to each other, but they are not the same thing between each other, right? The base controls are really not very duplicative of each other. The control enhancements, which is the majority of the catalog, are not really duplicative of each other because they enhance the base controls. And so when I saw public comments and people were saying, these are the same thing, we should combine them. My initial reaction to that is we didn't read deep enough before we made those comments. And so as a result, we're probably gonna end up with uh, more of the 171 problem of abstracting what multiple controls are saying into one or just a few lines. And in order to unpack what that requirement is now saying, you have to then go read those other controls in 853. You have to go cross-reference those other controls. This is the same problem that the NIST cybersecurity framework has, right? So if you go read, and everybody should, because it's you know they just released their newest draft of the CSF 2.0, it is a heavily, heavily abstracted version of many, many 853 controls. And you can see the bits and pieces of the 853 controls in the subcategory descriptions, basically the equivalent of a requirement, right? In these categories and subcategories, you can hear the wording from 853, but they're all mashed together. And so sometimes, those CSF categories and subcategories will represent three, four, six different 853 controls, which is very good if you want a single sentence summary of what those things are. If you wanna know the details and you wanna verify that they're actually implemented, you're gonna to have to go dig under the hood. So anytime that I hear people say, these two things feel redundant, we need to combine them. That's exactly what they did in the current version of 800-171, where we've got sometimes three or four 853 controls summarized and abstracted with a single sentence requirement. And inevitably everybody goes, what does that mean? How do I do that? How do I know that it's verified? And you have to go do this cross-referencing, you go to 171A. I don't think that's very helpful. I'm skeptical that there is that redundancy. I just, I don't think that's gonna be a good, I don't think that'll be a helpful change. So we saw some of this redundancy, uh, the reduction uh, of uh, controls and controls being withdrawn um, 
through this revision of the draft, right? Um, and then we see comments where they say, make it less redundant or tailor out controls, do this, do that. And then you see comments that are like, remember that control that you tailored out? Uh, could you yeah. bring that back, please? You know what it's I mean? It's a hard and problem, man. You can't please everybody. But let's think about this one, right? So sometimes it does make perfect sense. So the one that I want to talk about is now the old 314.5, which is malicious code protection, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And they withdrew that in Rev3, and they added it to 314.2, which is malicious code protection. But one pertained to updating and performing scans at certain frequencies and, and things like that. The other had to deal with uh, implementing and putting it in place, having mechanisms to do it, right? Mm -hmm. What did they do? They combined it into one control. So now it's for malicious code protection, you must implement, update, and put this, perform the scans as necessary, right? So yeah. at points in time, it makes sense to condense it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense and overcomplicates it. This is one of those scenarios where somebody's asking for something back where it clearly kind of makes a lot more sense. For yeah, I think, and we've had this feedback. We hear you, everybody. We've had this feedback where they're like, hey, can you guys do a deep dive into a control or two uh, in some of the episodes? So maybe next week uh, we can dive into maybe that example of, hey, they withdrew it, but then they also included it and then they moved it and it's merged and it's there, but it's not there. It's Schrodinger's uh, malicious code protection requirement. So maybe we can dive into this idea of how redundant is it how redundant was it? Does this change actually change anything? What is the control even asking for? If you guys think that sounds like a good idea, let us know in the comments below uh, and we can sort of dive into this example because that's what NIST is gonna try to do with the formatting. And you know, so this this whole thing of like, we're to your point, we're getting rid of NFO controls and we're gonna categorize everything, but we're also gonna combine things in order to get rid of redundancies, which really puts pressure on needing something like an NFO category to be like, well, these are a precursor and a, uh, you know, a successor to this concept. So we can assume that one of them is there and not the other in order to reduce this redundancy. But then people are like, no, tell me exactly what to do. And when you tell people exactly what to do, things start to get redundant and then around and around we go. Right. So this is, this is not an easy problem. That's why I wish we would just go back to the 853 format and call it a day. Right. Because, mm -hmm. That's the way that the standard is written. That's the pattern that it has followed for a long time. There are lots of people who are familiar with that pattern, and it just reduces the number of work hours required to have to unwind whatever specific formatting is going to come out in 171. Okay, so those are sort of the overall things that NIST outlined in terms of their planned changes for the upcoming draft and the subsequent final revision. But there was one thing that was listed at the front of the document that really was just a lights and sirens and bells and the whole the whole marching band was going off in my brain when I read it. And so they say, hey, we received all these comments. We received comments from all these people, comments basically on every single control. We received at least one comment. Every single comment mentioned something about ODPs, tons and tons and tons of activity about the formatting and the wording of controls. But then this says, we got almost no comments on the categorization of the controls. And so I put a post on LinkedIn, sort of a poll to the community. And I said, within the context of what NIST has control over in the revision process, 
which of the following things has the most impact on on the implementation of 800-171? Is it the tailoring and the defining of the ODPs within the text of the controls? Is it CMMC assessment of the controls? Is it the categorization of the 853 controls or banana, right? We always leave the banana option on there because team banana, they love it. Okay, so the CMMC assessment option is obviously a trap because the assessment of the requirements has nothing to do with the cost of implementing the requirements. Way too many people voted for that one. We'll talk after class, everybody. Tailoring the ODP values does have an impact on how hard or expensive it is to implement a requirement because it's specifying specific things. However, this is sort of a NIST sorcery specific thing. Remember how we talked about the moderate baseline and how those controls are split into multiple buckets? Only the controls that are categorized as relevant to CUI show up in 800-171. And only the items within those controls categorized as relevant to CUI show up in 800-171. So the slivers of the 853 controls that actually make up 800-171 are only those things of those controls that are determined to be relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI. So the number one way that you can reduce the impact of 800-171, the number one way you can influence what shows up in 800-171 to begin with, the way that it walks and talks and barks and quacks, everything about the substance and structure of 800-171 stems from how the 853 controls are categorized. And NIST received basically no comments on their rationale for categorizing the 853 controls as CUI. The only comments they received on categorization was get rid of NFO, which will cause more things to show up in the standard. So this is probably something that we're going to have to talk about multiple times through the comment period and before the next revision, just like we talked about out of scope ideas. You know, I like to think that we helped contribute to the reduction and out of scope comments in our small way. Um, if you want a control to not be in 800-171, you can't say it's expensive or CMMC or DOD DFARS or whatever then the way that you speak to NIST to get a control out of there is to say, you categorize this incorrectly. This is not actually relevant to the protection of CUI because blah, 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 mm -hmm. right? All of the comments that were submitted on the uh, public comments for the draft and basically all the comments on that LinkedIn poll are very focused on the controls once they're in the document, sure. right? How do you define the ODPs? How do we word the discussion sections? How do we combine these things into being the same thing? How do we assess them? How do we do? Those are all after categorization, right? So the, the main leverage point is if you want that standard to be smaller, if you want those redundancies to be reduced, if you want something to not be in there or you want something to be in there, you have to say to NIST, the categorization of the moderate baseline here needs to change because this, 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 this. So that's Sometimes the uh, best way for us to get better is to admit that we made a mistake. I answered your poll wrong. No, and I, I argued mean, it. I argued it. 
Uh, like I, I, we, we had a conversation <laughs> about it. I, I didn't quite fully understand, like until you started. I didn't phrase it. I didn't phrase it as well as I could have when I first posted yeah. it because so it's a trick. I was right. It, Never mind. It was. It, it was. I was both trying to be tricky and I was a little sloppy, right? So I didn't really do myself any favors on the poll. The point is, is that how NIST categorizes the baseline is what really determines the what goes bulk into it, of what, comes what of it. shows up, right? So when they revised 800-153-REV4 to 853-REV5, and they said, here's a bunch of new controls, here's a bunch of controls that are now in the moderate baseline that were not previously in the moderate baseline, they had a whole set of 853 controls that needed to be categorized. Mm -hmm. And then when industry said, don't categorize them as NFO assumptions, they basically had to pick, are they relevant to CUI? Are they not relevant to CUI? And they said, most of them are relevant to CUI. And no one submitted a comment and said, your categorization was wrong, which makes me think that NIST is like, okay, everybody's worried about formatting of the yep. controls as they exist in the draft. No one is going to war over whether the controls should be there in the first place. So whether they uh, zig or zag or rephrase or combine, you're going to end up with the same set of 853 controls represented by 800 which means you're going to end up with the same amount of tasks in 800-171A. Sure. And so we saw the increase. We talked about this at CS2 Huntsville. Uh, we sort of sort of outlined and tried to draw out what the new upgrades were in 853 Rev5 that would help us predict what they're going to do in 171 Rev3. Now that no one has commented on those categorization decisions and people want NFOs to be gone, I think that that is just going to cause the document to get even larger while also allowing this to say, we're giving you exactly what you wanted, right? So it's this, it's going to be this weird thing where we're going to get the next draft, like in October sometime. And NIST is going to say, we heard you, we heard you loud and clear. Most comments we've ever received, most interaction we've ever had on social media. And we responded exactly to what you were asking for. We reduced ODPs. We combined a couple things. We got rid of NFOs. We reformatted the discussions. Oh yeah, and the document is now 70% larger rather than 37% larger because that's exactly what you asked us to do, right? And people are gonna go, wait, wait, <laughs> not like that. That's not what we really wanted because no one's commenting on control categorization. The very, very first step of the RMF process, right? This is way outside the realm of what DOD contractors normally have to or should uh, ever have to deal with, but it is, it is the key leverage point over the size of the document. Makes absolute sense. So when people ask questions about, they're like, Jacob, what's a CUI overlay? Your answer in a short term, and I'm going to try to answer for you, terrible idea, I know. Um, but a CUI overlay would be controls from 853 that have been extracted or tailored out and modified or changed to create a baseline of controls to be used to apply protections for CUI. Yeah, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good way of describing it. So the difference between a CUI overlay and a CUI baseline is pretty subtle. Um, so let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. So the way that 853 is supposed to work in context is you get this giant catalog of controls. You get the dictionary of controls. Mm -hmm. We need to go through 
And at a high level, we're going to pick a baseline from those controls, low, moderate, or high. You know, for our purposes of protecting CUI, we're going to pick the moderate baseline. So now we've got this subset of a dictionary. It's just a smaller dictionary. It's still not very useful. So now we're going to actually have to go through and tailor those controls. Some controls aren't relevant because they're federal only. Some controls aren't relevant because they're not going to protect confidentiality. Some controls are going to protect confidentiality. So we want that even smaller subset of a dictionary of controls. But now we've got 160 some odd controls and none of the ODPs are defined. They're all blank. Well, for years, we just got that shown up in 800.171. And mm -hmm. that is what is referred to in NIST parlance as an initial baseline. It is the set of high-level controls, but they aren't finished being defined. They're, they still have all these blank ODPs in them. And this is why I get back to that point where the problem of the government not defining those values has existed since 171 was published in 2015. It's not a new problem just because the ODPs are formatted to show up in revision three, right? So the jump from an initial baseline to what is known as a fully tailored baseline is the process of defining those ODP values, right? So typically that would be done by the government customer, the, the program office, you know, whatever is actually happening. NIST, I believe in revision four, came up with this concept of an overlay. And an overlay is this idea that a industry or a community of interest could get together and they could say, for the purposes of protecting confidentiality of data or for the purposes of protecting uh, operational technology on a shop floor or for the purposes of protecting privacy or whatever the purposes sure. happen to be, they are going to step through the selection, the categorization, the tailoring of controls to create their overlay for that specific industry. Very, very similar to what NIST would refer to as a fully tailored baseline. So with 171 Rev 3, NIST released what they call uh, the CUI overlay, right? Now, mm -hmm. when we first heard this, you get very excited because you're like, well, overlays define values. So ODP definitions will be in this overlay. ODP definitions are not in that overlay. So it's not really a full overlay. What it does do is it gives you traceability between the portions of the 853 controls that show up in 800.171 and the full 853 controls in 853. So if you want to know which specific items show up from which specific 853 controls or not, the overlay spreadsheet is the document that you want to check out. And NIST even says it in their public comment summary, they didn't get any comments on the usefulness of the overlay or the formatting of the overlay. And they think that that's because people just don't really understand what overlays are supposed to do. And I agree with them. I think overlays are pretty obscure. Control categorization is very obscure. Unless you've worked in some of the initial steps of the RMF cycle, you probably never had to deal with that. Most, most security engineers that deal with 853 controls deal with the finished baseline of controls that they have to implement on their systems. They don't sit in the control categorization meeting upstream somewhere that may have happened mm -hmm. a couple of years beforehand that determined these are the controls that you have to implement. Sure. So a lot of people that deal with the 853 catalog only ever deal with a subset of the 853 catalog relevant to their 
system. So for instance, when I worked at Northrop Grumman and we were working on some cool satellite systems that we had to implement 853 controls for, you know, we had our baseline of controls. And if it wasn't in that baseline, it was just in 853, who cares? It's not a requirement, not something that we have to implement, not something that the contractor's being paid to implement by the government. So you're not going to go and sort of argue the categorization decision because that's already been done. Here, industry has the ability to argue the categorization description uh, or decisions. And that overlay spreadsheet is probably the, the best source of information for figuring out where NIST made their decision about what the categories actually are. Yeah, man, I think you did a great job summing that up, like as far as like the subtle difference between a overlay and a baseline, right? Um, and I think that that actually covers everything that we, you know, really wanted to go over with regards to the the summary of the public comments. I think the one more one more thing we want to throw out there is just a reminder that CS2 Denver, we're live, deep dive into the CUI series from NIST. Heck yeah. 15, 15% off. Sum it up, CS2 DEN. So sum it up, CS2 Denver, S U M I T CS2 DEN. Oh, Wait, I you. We did it. <laughs> we did it. I missed yeah. it. I missed it. I missed Discount it. code will be in the description below. That event always sells out. This is the 12th or 13th CST that we've done. They've always sold out. So uh, be sure to check it out. Virtual registration is available and we'll be able to simultaneously stream all the breakout sessions. So check out cs2.cloud, use that discount code, and we'll see you guys next week. See you next week. <laughs>